my heroes are warriors. And second on this list are military families. And today, for the first time, I get a chance to talk to both of them in one episode. In fact, if I were to put one military family up there as the family that inspires me and that I look to the most, it's Scott and Tiffany Smiley. And you won't get very far into this episode before you figure out just why they're so inspiring. So I am thrilled to interview my friends, Scott and Tiffany Smiley, on this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Tiffany and Scott, thank you for taking some time out to be on this episode of Unbeatable. You guys are busy, and it's taken me a long time just to make this interview happen. Thanks for giving me some time today. Oh, it's great to be on. Happy to be here. Um. So the first time I met you, Scott, you probably, well, I know you don't remember it, um, but we met through a mutual friend. Let's give a huge shout out to John Martinko, who kind of got us connected years ago when I was stationed out in Washington. And that's how you and I first met. Yep. And uh, I, I actually do remember you gave me a sweatshirt second range battalion sweatshirt uh, that I loved, wore on leave just a few mm -hmm. weeks thereafter, and then went to the your units uh, with John, uh, met up. Uh, I think he tried to hide from you uh, with your insane PT. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but remember that time and just, you know, not, not only can't thank you enough, uh, but it's, as you know, when Bands of Brothers join together, uh, enables us to do uh, things we never expected. So, yeah. Um, you know, John's such a great guy, yeah. still amazing friends and working with him now. How did you guys meet, by the way? Yeah, John and uh, I were in the same company, and it goes a little further back than that. My older brother, who also attended the military academy, went to combat diver qualification course uh, down in Key West, Florida with him. And then he was really yep at, on a, a CTLT, which is like uh, cadets from the military academy, go join the units, went out to Fort Lewis, which Neil was attached to the 2nd Range Battalion. Then John was with a, a signal unit. Go figure, John ends up going uh, to that same unit. Uh, then went to my house and just met my family. And then I didn't meet John until back at West Point, and he was actually in my same company. So we hung out. Uh, I ended up going to combat diver qualification course and just, you know, began to continue to build that relationship uh, that he had already started with my older brother. So it's it's a it's a great yeah. you know, families connect. It, it was good. And John John was an awesome support to us. Um, you know, it was post injury and post tragedy. Yeah. Um, you know, truly amazing. Uh, you two work together now. Who's the boss? You or John? Or both <laughs> two bosses? John Martinko, always the boss. Always the boss. So he's a okay. Yes, that's right. <laughs> he's a co-owner of Drexel Hamilton. It's a 100% service-disabled uh, veteran-owned and operated broker-dealer out of New York. Uh, so I often travel to New York, travel around the, uh, the United States visiting corporate clients, I'm an advisor, so uh, you know John's taught me almost everything I know about finance. Uh, you know I have a little bit of an education, but a lot of it's on-the-job training. And John's just an amazing guy to work yeah. with. Uh, helps uh, understand not only the minute detail, but kind of the umbrella of of how finances work and and, and how money flows. So it, it's great to still work and you know obviously be great friends. Yeah. Right. Friends that get a chance to work together are awesome, yes. um, especially when you guys have go, uh, known each other for a long time. 
Tiffany, yeah. I met you for the first time. We were, you two were in the hallway somewhere and your husband was wearing a ball cap and you were helping him walk around. And when he took his baseball cap off, there was a dent in his head about the size of a softball. No exaggeration. <laughs> and I watched you leading your husband around the hallways and I was so impressed by you. And I've watched you both from a distance for many years and am incredibly I still remain impressed to this day by both of you too. Oh, thank you. Oh, it, it's a journey, you know, and um Scotty, we even just a week ago or so we were teasing. Scotty has some plans. He's doing an event with someone and and uh, he said, "Well, you don't get Scotty unless you get Tiffany." Like we're we're definitely a team. That's right. Um uh, we a are package a, deal. We yeah. are <laughs> absolutely um and everything that we've done. Um we, you know, had to learn at a young age um number one how to deal with tragedy, how to overcome it and how to play to yeah. um what God gave us. Um instead of, you know, fighting right. or we're letting little things get in the way of who God truly created us to be at a very young age. We had to really yeah. decide, you know, are we going to focus on what we can't do or, or are we going to focus on what we can do? Um, and with, you yeah. know, God by our side, our relationship with the Lord guiding us and helping us, we were able to really strengthen that, that triangle, that three chord. Um, and it's, it's unbreakable. Yeah. <laughs> You two have inspired, actually, you continue to inspire thousands, tens of thousands of people, if not more. Um, we're going to get into, in just a few moments, your story. We're going to get into what happened to you in Iraq, Scott. But um, before we do that, I got to say this. My, my favorite people in the world to have on this broadcast are warriors. My second favorite people are military families. And this is really the first time that I've been able to interview both a warrior and a spouse and so, man, for me, this is a treat because of who you two are and what you two have done for our country and for each other. Oh, thank you. It's I, I'm glad to be the spouse of the warrior. Uh, <laughs> Tiffany is the warrior in my mind. And I knew yeah. I wouldn't have been able to do anything if it wasn't for her. And, and as we'll get into it, um, I, I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for her, her love, her continued uh, you know, speaking truth, hope, and life. Uh, but it's that support that yeah. enables not only continue, uh, but to continue to live life uh, to its fullest. So um, I, I'm glad to be married to an amazing warrior. Yeah. I love the way you said that. Tiffany really is. And frankly, military spouses have always had that uh, <laughs> ability to handle pressure and are warriors in their own right. Yeah. Um, wow. You two met in high school, right? Uh, you guys go back a long way. Tell us how you guys got uh, connected for the first time. Yeah. So we actually met in, in junior high. I was a farm girl and was bused into the big junior high school. So sixth grade. And um, it was awful. Um, I, I, it was hard to get through every day. There were bullies. I was just a super tiny farm girl who yeah. had no idea what this whole other world was. Um, but there was one boy in sixth grade that was super nice, and his name was Scotty Smiley. In fact, in my um, junior high yearbook, I drew a heart around um, his picture and wrote future plans. Oh, um, that's yeah. so cute. I have no control. <laughs> <laughs> but we were just, we were just friends. Um, you know, obviously in high school, played sports together and just really enjoyed each other. We, we were good friends. 
and then dated our senior year of high school, um, started dating. Then obviously Scotty went off to the military academy. I went to nursing school, kind of, you know, went, he flew across the country to New York. I was in Washington state, um, but we kept that relationship going. I have boxes and boxes of letters from Scotty. I mean, some some days I would go to my mailbox, wow. there would be three letters in there from Scotty. Um, so we survived the you wow. know, West Point. We're part of the 1% club um, at West Point. So survived that and then got married um, after after college. Yeah. So tell everybody how uh, how the proposal went, because everybody who's here and that you were junior high sweethearts want to know how did uh, he propose to you? Well, before the proposal, this is really where Scotty started to to win some major points. And people were like, oh, my goodness, was our senior year prom. Um, I live out in the country, like I said, so I was mm-hmm. speaking down this country road as fast as I could because I was always late to school. Um, So I was flying down this country road and um, at the stop sign, there were two cops. One was facing towards the road. One was facing the other way. And I was like, oh no, like, yeah, Holly, they got me. I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. So I'm going slow. And sure enough, I, you know, turn right from the stop sign and they get right behind me and they're tailing me for a while. I'm driving slow, turn on their lights. I'm like, Oh man, you know, I probably had, I had sports that day. I was going to be late for school. Mm-hmm. And, and the cop comes up, he's, he's kind of gruff and mean to me. And like, do you know how fast you were going? And he goes, I'll be right back. And he comes back with the ticket and they hand it to me. And it says like, I owe a million dollars. I'm like, I look up and I'm like a million dollar. I'm thinking like I have a million dollar speeding right. fine. <laughs> Uh, he goes, read it, read it. And then it says, the only way you will get out of this ticket is if you go to prom with Scotty Smiley. What? And, and I looked up and there's Scotty in a sheriff's hat and sheriff's top and a rose asking me. Wow. <laughs> to prom. So I, I, mean, had, I had to work for what I got. I had to work for it. I am really, really impressed here. Man, yes. Scotty. That, that took the cake. And the proposal was, I mean, just very simple. We went on a walk and um, I almost didn't believe it. I was like, it took me a while to say yes. My knee was hurting. <laughs> I was on rocks and she's laughing. And I think that's just kind of an emotional response. And I yeah. was like, well, is that a yes? And of course, you know, it was a beyond ecstatic yes. And uh, give her a kiss, but it's just, it goes to show, you know, not only a relationship that we started at a very young age, but we just grew so tightly together, yeah. on knowing what we felt, knowing how we think, knowing what our beliefs were, mm-hmm. you know, especially through the military academy, 3000 miles away, that we knew that, that not only God had a plan for us and th- that plan was going to be, was going to be amazing. Uh, but it was amazing right. just to, you know, go from asking her a prom and a fun, exciting way to asking the love of my life uh, to be my partner for, for the rest of eternity. You described the 1% Club, Tiffany. I know yeah. what you're talking about, but the listeners don't. What is the 1% Club? Yes. So only um, 1% of cadets that go into West Point actually with the boyfriend, girlfriend actually mm-hmm. leave that same boyfriend and girlfriend. Very few people make it through dating, especially long distance. You know, you yeah. can't get married while you're at West Point. They're, you know, they only get short little breaks, so it's really hard to see them. Um, so not very many people make it through, but 
but we did, you know, we wrote letters and I guess we're dating ourselves, but like we would yeah, well. IM and instant message each other when we're in the, you know, I'd go be in the library studying and instant messaging Scotty and, yeah. um, but really built a strong base foundation of just understanding who we were as individuals and then who we were as a couple. Um, cause we are both very headstrong people. Both of us are very driven, opinionated, um, individuals. And, um, so it was good to have that, have that base and understanding who, of who each of us, you know, who we were together yeah. and independent. Yeah. You guys have, uh, obviously your marriage has lasted. Everybody yeah. wants to know how long you've been married. Tell us about the children, describe the family a little bit. Well, I'll let Scotty share how long <laughs> we've been married because I'm not, I don't pay attention to that. In fact, there was one anniversary. We had flown from New York home and uh, we were visiting family. And I think it was Scotty's sister said, happy anniversary. And Scotty and I looked at each I go, other. I, go, Who? I said, who's the anniversary? She goes, isn't it yours? I go, I don't know. What date is it? And she goes, I guess that's when I got we got married. So I looked at Tim and he goes, oh, happy anniversary. He goes, huh? What are you talking about? So for all you men out there, I'm very, I'm a very lucky man. That yeah. If I do forget. If you like, miss an I, anniversary. I so, right. Yeah, but we ha we're going on our 20th year yeah. uh, uh, year this year, uh, this December. Uh, we have three amazing boys, uh, Grady, 15 and a half, Graham, 13, and then our youngest, Baylor, is 10. So yeah. all three amazing, uh, uh, crazy boys, but <laughs> athletes, uh, smart, uh, you know, love each other, obviously. Not boys. always. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> no, no, it's a good uh, brotherly relationship. Right, but. yeah. I always joke, you know, I thought given our circumstances with Scotty being completely blind and we were still in the military, you know, and moving all the time that God was going to give me these really sweet, like mellow, right. calm children that just want to sit on your lap and like play with toys. And um, God gave us some very energetic <laughs> go-getter. Um, they're awesome. Tender warriors for sure. They're, you know, they've. Um, Scotty's never seen them. So all three of our boys were born after he was blind. So mm -hmm. he's never seen our kids. They were born, you know, with a father who was completely blind. Um, but they also saw that, you know, they don't look at Scotty like he has a disability. They look yeah. at him as fully capable. It's been a remarkable journey in some regard. I feel like, you know, we questioned, like, should we even have kids? Yeah. Um, something that God wants us to, to do because I mean, our life was overwhelming and right. it was, you know, yeah. and it's hard and there's extra pressures and extra challenges. Um, but the gift that was given back to us is it's been remarkable to watch our boys develop, um, in a way that we don't have any control over, but like they, we never taught them how to respond to Scotty, you know, but they yeah. would automatically, um, make noise in the park when Scotty says, where are you? And they would bang on, on the, you know, playground or yeah. say, yeah, look at my toy and go put it in his hand. Um, the way they process and the way they, that they think and view the world is so unique and beautiful. Um, and something that I never would have known or, or been able to expect, witness yeah. or expect, um, yeah. not them. I mean, they're, they're amazing. Well, I don't know if you guys are aware of this. I also married my high school sweetheart. We have five children. The, uh, we're now going on 33, 34 years of marriage. And um, very, very few, I, I want to say to the listeners, very few people have pulled off the relationship that you two have pulled off. 
Dawn and I, my wife, we had a long distance relationship for four years while I was in the army. And we wrote a lot of letters back and forth and stayed in touch as best we could um, back before there was an internet. And um, I've often said, listen, we don't have, my wife and I, we don't have a perfect marriage, but if we can make it work, anyone can make it work. (laughs) But you two really are the unicorns because very, very few relationships survive. The military, the U.S. Military Academy at West Point and the challenges Uh, we're going to get into in just a second with Scott's uh, disability. So you guys have an amazing relationship. It's inspiring. Thank you. Working on it every day. Yeah, Yeah, of course, as are we um, 30 years in and still don't have it all figured out. So got a lot to learn too. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So I just alluded to, and, and there are some people that are driving right now and listening to this on the, on audible or in Spotify, but there are some that are watching this on YouTube. Those that are watching it can see Scott has a disability. People that are driving can't hear it. So back to the first time that I met you, John talked, John introduced or kind of described who you were, Scott. And, um, mentioned that you were in the hospital in Fort Lewis, Washington, after having some major injuries in Iraq. And I went to see you in the hospital. And frankly, when I walked in the hospital room, and I've seen a lot of really busted up, blown up warriors, what I saw, I didn't think that you'd survive. So I want to go back to you joined the military, you became a warrior and a leader, and then you're leading um, Americans in Iraq, in Mosul, Iraq, back in 2005, when you get in critically wounded. So can you describe some of those details just for the reader or for the listener? Yeah. So from the military academy, was able to get married uh, to my high school sweetheart, Tiffany. And I said, I I hope after our honeymoon, I said, I hope I see you in 62 days. She says, hopes to. And I was like, well, I'm going to go to ranger school. (laughs) Luckily enough, it only took 62 days of ranger school. Yeah. 62 days of absolute (laughs) misery. Uh, made it through. Uh, so I was airborne, uh, combat diver qualification. Uh, all Both I did at the academy. Um, and then now infantry officer mm-hmm. ranger after I graduated from officer basic course. Received our first my first platoon uh, at Fort Lewis, Washington, and then was deployed to Missoula, Iraq. Um, my first company commander, Captain Bill Jackson Jr., uh, was killed in action uh, on December 21st uh, of 2004. Uh, when a man walked into, into the mess hall and blew himself yeah. up, uh-huh. other men and women, um, just absolute tragic to, you know, your boss, the man who you report to wakes you up. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes uh, harshly counsels you, uh, life just taken. Uh, and it really brought to reality that what war means and, and what men and men, women are willing to do uh, to fight for their purpose. Um, my new company commander, Jeff in Antwerp, uh, just one of the most amazing leaders yeah. on earth. Yep. Um, now a new commander, uh, you know, was was now my leader. Uh, we, you know, was now April, been there about six months. And uh, just the day prior, my platoon, about a 45-man platoon, was on the quick reaction force, responded to a vehicle, a suicide car bomb that ran into a, a, a M, MS, uh, another striker in our company uh, severely injured one of the soldiers. So we saw what these men were willing to do. Uh, waking up on April 6th of 2005, uh, of course, I had my paperwork in to potentially go to RASP. 
uh, Ranger Selection Program. Uh, thought that's what I want to do. Had a lot of conversations with Tiffany on, you know, being in the military in, in kind of that type of lifestyle. Uh, at the time, my battalion commander, Eric Carilla, Lieutenant Colonel now, <laughs> yep. uh, Central Command Commander, uh, I think he was a little hesitant on letting me go. Uh, you know, when you just, just the, the type of units that you want to put together, uh, the stronger they are, the more yeah. sustained fighting force you have. So uh, all that kind of on the background, uh, on April 6, 2005, a little a later wake up because of the QRF the day prior, uh, my new company commander, uh, Jeff Van Antwerp, they had on-time intelligence that there were, uh, you know, potentially a suicide car bomb. Uh, that's mm-hmm. not what intelligence said, uh, but what we were seeing on the ground uh, where insurgents were telling Iraqis to move away from a certain location. Again, kind of a historical reference. Yeah. The insurgents wanted to solidify the Iraqi people against the American and international forces uh, to not allow one one of the first votes uh, in you know correct true votes in Iraqi history, uh, but also wanted to thwart kind of the Westernization of you know their their culture, and so they didn't want to necessarily injure them. So at this time, they were telling them to get out of the area. Uh, we had. That intelligence, so Jeff told me to stay off the main highways, main, you know, we call them main supply routes. Uh, so I was like, Roger, we only had three striker vehicles, which normally a platoon has four, uh-huh. and uh, saw a suspicious vehicle. Uh, the back of the car was lower than the front. It was a, a silver opal, uh, had a single man in the driver's seat. His his head was buzzed. His, his face was was buzzed. Had a gray collared shirt, kind of buttoned down, down to his uh, wrists. Uh, you know, looked like an innocent guy, but at the same time, it was fit the same location of where, you know, insurgents were telling Iraqis to leave. And so given the rules of engagement, uh, which were very restrictive, you couldn't shoot or cause harm to anyone that uh, hadn't, you know, had a weapon or had done type of some type of physical force. And so as far as we knew, we had no real intelligence that this was an enemy, this was a mm-hmm. bad individual. So I pulled my striker vehicle uh, this, uh, you know, almost 30 yards away from his vehicle. I was facing I was facing east on this road and he was facing west. No median, just cement in between us. He's a little in front of me. Uh, you know, getting a striker vehicle metal was always all the way up to my name. Yeah. Bulletproof jacket, bulletproof glasses. Uh, looked at him and, and yelled at him to get out of his vehicle. And he, he raised his hands off the steering wheel looking at me and shook his head no. Uh, I yelled at him again. And then uh, he let us foot off the brake, and that's when I pulled my M4 to my shoulder, shot around in front of his vehicle, and then boom, my world went black. Yeah. So I want to just describe for everybody listening, when you talked about the training that you went through, Ranger School, the Combat Dive Course, Infantry Officer School, you're talking some of the most challenging academically, physically, um, in every possible way. And you made your way through all of those things and were very successful. In other words, you got a guy right here who has no limits on his career. And what Scott is describing right now is a moment where the Fight in Iraq is very tenuous. Um, This is before the big surge. This is when there's still a whole lot of bad guys everywhere. And every day it looks like there are more bad guys than good guys. And especially up in the northern part of Iraq in Mosul. And uh, there's a lot of action up there. Uh, Scott, I was up there with you guys at the same time. I was there not long after your commander was killed in that 
um, bombing in the dining facility. And this is a really, really tenuous and a very dangerous point in the war in Iraq. Mm -hmm. And you pull up next to a guy who in a country or in a culture that values a man's beard and his hair, when you see a head shaved and a beard shaved, you know, something is not right here. And when you see a vehicle that's got a really heavy back end, probably means that it's loaded down with something. And uh, in this part of the country at this time, probably not something good. And how far away did you say you were standing when that vehicle exploded? I was about 30 yards, 30 meters away. No, no, no protection in between us. Just, just road. Yeah. And the extent of your injuries, like obviously there's a couple of noticeable injuries right now. People are watching this, but what was the total extent of your injuries when this car blew up right next to you? Yeah. Shrapnel, uh, entered in my left eye, basically cut it in half and traumatic, you know, along with the traumatic brain injury, um, then a piece of metal went into my right eye, uh, small shards of metal went into my face, but nothing that, that truly damaged. Of course, nothing that uh, didn't make my wife still love me and, and how I look. <laughs> because you're so devastatingly <laughs> handsome. I yes. think at least when I continue to think uh, I'm, I'm receiving <laughs> I, my vibe that I'm giving out. Uh, but it wasn't, it, in all honesty, it wasn't really until I woke up in Walter Reed Army Medical Center because um, I was placed in a medically induced coma was later told what had actually happened because some of the amnesic effect of the medicine. Well, yeah, sorry, I'll interrupt. They they didn't even know if Scotty was going to survive. Yeah. Uh, I, I got the call after they loaded him on the Black Hawk um, in Mosul. And uh, Scotty wouldn't remember, doesn't know any of this, but just from my recount and my conversation with Jeff in Antwerp, but um, he had flatlined several times. He was losing yeah. an incredible amount of blood and they couldn't keep it up. You know, facial wounds... Um, especially to your eyes, your head, um, they, they couldn't keep his blood pressure up. Um, and so he flatlined, they got him back, they, you know, pumping him full of fluids, trying to stop the bleeding. They didn't know the extent of the bleeding. So when Jeff put him on that black hawk, he broke down crying on the phone to me. Yeah. I, I don't know if he's going to make it. And I want to say to the listener, I did see you while you were in the hospital. It was really, really bad. And I've seen some of the most busted up people yeah. imaginable. Um, I've, I've sat in the emergency room, in the operating room, literally while they're being operated on. But in your case, Scott, when I saw you in the hospital, I was pretty convinced personally, he's not going to make it. And then when I see you the next time and Tiffany is leading you down the hallways, this is not an exaggeration. There is a dent in your head. You have lost about a softball's worth of brain tissue by the time that I see you. What was the final amount of surgery that they had to do to your skull and, you know, just to your brain to keep you alive? Because you, you, I, you're the one guy who I never expected to, to survive who's still alive today. No, so there was actually only a few uh, surgeries that, that actually occurred. Uh, obviously, uh, the neurologist in Balad, Iraq, that gave me craniotomy, took a portion of my skull off uh, because of the swelling of the brain. I did a slight surgery in, in my brain, basically to stop the bleeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, my left eye was enucleated, taken out, and then a surgery in the hospital at Walter Reed, in which uh, a piece of metal about almost, what, three quarters of an inch long, wow. like the size of pencil lead, was taken out of my right eye. Um, so basically lost both my eyes. And then the true extent was because of the traumatic brain injury, uh, 
uh, I couldn't move my right leg, could barely move my right yeah. hand. And so for me, waking up, not being able to see, um, a, you know, a quarter of my skull missing, uh, you know, it's, they sewed it up and I now can't walk. Like my life, what my career meant to me, it was, there was literally no future. I, yeah. I did not see why this happened to me. There's hate, there's anger, there's resentment, there's depression. Um, and I, you know, many men and women who sign up for the military were more than happy, not happy, but more than willing to give our lives. I, I don't know of anyone who voluntarily says, sure, I'll give my eyesight. Yeah. I'll find the rest of my life. I'll potentially not be able to walk again or not be able to move the right side of my body. Um, that's just something that we as humans can't comprehend. And not until it really happens, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's my faith. Uh, but I believe also more so it was the love that Tiffany had, you know, yeah. speaking to hope and life, uh, that it was being able to move my right leg, being able to move my right uh, arm. You know, I think it took what three, four hours of, of me trying to move my right toe. And after I did, I took like a two, three hour nap because of the wow. mental exhaustion. Yeah. Um, so that was the battle that I was facing is, you know, not necessarily, it was the aftermath of, okay, I can't, you know, I'm right-handed. How do I eat? How do I shave? How do I, right. my, yeah. how do I live life? Uh, but again, it was the constant love and, you know, Tiffany every day would see truth, hope and life uh, to me and, you know, was always a positive person. And I don't think, well, I know I was not the positive person, <laughs> right. um, but it was just family members and loved ones that were just there to, to give me, uh, a reasoning to live and, a, and yeah. more so a purpose behind why uh, I had fought and I had, had, you know, been the warrior that I was. Yeah. Scott, you've done the harder work because almost every warrior that I know, and I was one of these guys as well, every one of them said, either I walk off of this battlefield alive or I hope that I die in this fight, but don't let me get horribly disfigured, seriously, um, you know, wounded to the point that I'm no longer capable of doing what I once was, especially when you're strong and smart and competent like you were. So almost every guy that I know would have gladly died rather than go through what you went through. But Tiffany, I have met hundreds of wives. I know thousands of them uh, uh, by distance who have said war changed my life because mm -hmm. it changed my husband. No wife has been more impacted by war than you have. Um, so let's talk about what you went through when you show up to the hospital and see Scott and then how much your world changes when your husband is now totally blind and fighting just to be able to stand up, fighting just to be able to move his toe as he described. Yeah. Um, I mean, Scotty's world not only blew up, but mine did as well. You know, I remember feeling like everything was in slow motion and as a military, um, spouse, you like, I, I think a lot of people in this country don't realize, like, I couldn't go see him. I, I he's in Balad and then yeah. he's in Germany. Um, you, you sit and you wait and there's nothing more grueling than yeah, that's the, rough. the unknown. And, you know, I, I didn't know if he was going to survive. I didn't know if he was going to live. I didn't know if he had his eyes, one eye, two eyes, like overwhelming. Um, and I remember I, I booked my own flight because the army wanted to wait. This is the first yeah. time I started bucking the, the All military. Right. Okay. Um, 
Um, they wanted me to wait until Scotty got to Walter Reed before they would fly me out. And I said, that's absurd. I'm going to be there when he lands. Um, and so I got my own flight. I got to Walter Reed. Um, and Which you know, is the opposite, uh, just so that the listener knows, yes. this is the opposite side of the country right now. Yes. I'm in Washington State, so bought a ticket out to Washington, D.C., to Walter Reed, the old Walter Reed that was just up from the White mm-hmm. House. Um, and, you know, truly, it, that's when our fight began. Um, and thank God I was a nurse. I always say it, it wasn't right. the nursing career um, that I thought I was ever going to have. But, um, you know, I was able to, I knew what to do to help Scotty. Um, I saved his life a couple of times, stopped some medication and, and helped wow. make sure that he got medication. He was having this massive allergic reaction. Um, so was able to be on the front lines with him and, and able to navigate the doctors and the system. I wasn't afraid of the system, um, the medical system. I knew exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think what was overwhelming for me, I know you mentioned, you know, during this time, it was some of the heaviest fighting, some of the most casualties that we saw in the war in Iraq. And as a nurse, it was so overwhelming to see um, the soldiers that were coming in yeah. and yeah. families that were torn apart. And I would walk the halls at night and I knew I could help Scotty. I knew I'm like, I got, I got Scotty, you know. But at night, I would think, who's helping everyone else? Yeah. And and you know, not everyone has a nurse standing by them. But you know, when the when the military brought me into a room, they brought me into a room with VA officials, army officials, uh, doctors, the, the head of the uh, colonel, head of Walter Reed. They had paperwork for me because I had power of attorney. And they said, Mrs. Smiley, you have power of attorney. Um, sign right here on the dotted line and we will get your husband transitioned into the VA system. And they said, and, and, you know, that way then we can look for a long-term care facility. Right. For and I said, wait a minute, what, what does that mean? Like I had all of these questions and, um, they couldn't answer them. So I, I mean, I looked at them, I said, no, I'm not signing it. And, uh, the doctor said, Mrs. Smiley, I'll never forget this. He said, Mrs. Smiley, your husband has no eyes. He will never see again. It was almost like, Sweetie, you're yeah. just overwhelmed. Right. <laughs> and I said, no, I am perfectly aware. Um, I, I know that he cannot see that he probably will never see again in his life. They said, well, there's never been someone blind to continue service to our country. So sign the paperwork. And I looked yeah, at that. Hold on. I, Tiffany, I need you to say that one more time, because for most <laughs> of the listeners that are not familiar with the U.S. military, they're unaware of this. Say that one more time. Um, when he said, Mrs. Smiley, there has never mm-hmm. been someone blind to continue service to our country right. sign the paperwork. Um, I looked at him a second time and said, no, I am not signing it. I believed that Scotty should be able to fully recover, reach his max potential, um, and then we could decide together. Um, but I also believe that he could still serve. I mean, there were you know military officials that were coming in and, and they would say, he was such a good leader. This is a shame. And I would say he still will be like, this isn't our label. This isn't God didn't bring us right. to this point to yeah. watch us hopelessly shudder into destruction. Um, I believe, always believed in something better. I always had hope um, that there would be a better day, even in those dark, dark moments where it wasn't easy and it was super hard to see if there was any light, you know? Oh, yeah. But I remember going in and kind of telling Scotty what I did, you know, from the military perspective, he's like, you told the army what? <laughs> like, <laughs> Right. That doesn't happen. Yep. What? 
did the three star or the full bird turtle like you said what and um again it was the beginning of us just playing to our strengths like the army didn't have anything on me i had the power with the power right. of attorney yeah. um and i had the vision for something better and i had the faith that i knew god was was standing with me in that moment that that's where my strength came from yeah. to say no in front of this room you know i'm 23 years old in this room by myself to say no wow yeah, I want to make sure that the listener hears this. The reason why you're the first couple that I've been able to interview together is because of your story, Scott, but also your story, Tiffany. I've watched the way that you handled your world getting blown up when Scott got blown up in Iraq. But more importantly, I've watched the way that you handled your his career in the Army and the the way that you loved your husband and raised your family and continued to give to our country we're going to talk about what you have been doing lately in just a few minutes. Um, but I'm thinking you're a triage nurse. You've seen injuries. You've seen blood. But this is your husband. And you step up. And I mean, you step up in a big way. And spoiler alert to the audience who's listening, you two make a decision that is unheard of. In fact, when I joined the military, no one got a chance to continue to serve if you had a permanent injury. I lost guys in the in the Rangers that I would give my right arm to keep, but the Army said they have to leave, and they have to leave because they're permanently injured, and we can't keep them on the payrolls. We can't send them to war. Right. And you two did something unheard of and said, wait a second, just because Scott can't see, is totally blind, does that mean that he can't serve anymore? And I got to know, how does it go from sign the paperwork and we're going to we're going to transfer your husband out of the military immediately to allowing him to continue to serve and to retire from the U.S. Army? How did that happen? Yeah, well, I took the paperwork and put it in a drawer and then built a never. I've never seen it to this day. So it's shredded bowels of Walter Reed somewhere. Um, But uh, I started building a team. And sharing this idea that um, I believed, I said, I think Scotty needs to be able to fully recover. Um, and if he could still serve, why can't he? And I, this is when I first began to understand the books of the Army, right? That if they can't deploy you, then they want right. you off the books. And it's a money issue. And I understood that. But I always said, maybe in the long run, we'll save more money if, if there is a purpose to continue the service um, and give back and be an asset to the military. Um you can send other people who are fully capable. Right. Why not, you know, keep these folks in who can give back um, and then built a team who believed in this vision as well. Um, we have some incredible friends, you know, that said, that's a great idea. I mean, they didn't have to say that and they didn't have to go to bat for us and fight for us. Um, but we did some research and uh, we found a caveat. There was a, a continuation on the active duty, a co-ad that you could mm-hmm. apply for. So Scotty, you know, gave Scotty motivation to get up and to fight and to still have something to work towards and to try to get back into shape and try to get back um, in, into who he was, not before, because obviously it would be different. You know, his life now going forward was different, but gave him a drive and a purpose. Um, you can share. Yeah. And then, you know, I stayed as infantryman. Um, and, you know, from there, it was now to find a purpose. And I remembered at the academy what amazing officers I had. And I, again, it, it hurt me because I was an operational kind of mindset. Uh, I love, you know, 
quote unquote, kicking in doors, though, as an officer, you weren't the ones. <laughs> you were right behind the guys kicking in the doors. Yeah. <laughs> kind of doing the SSI, like, exactly. And, uh, but knowing that, I wanted to be a part of development. And so I knew, though I hadn't had been to the career course, you know, a military uh, requirement for officers. I hadn't had a company command, another military requirement uh, prior to being an instructor. But asked, you know, the dean of the military academy, if, you know, if I could be a potential instructor. He said, of course, I uh, just need to go get a master. So I uh, was able to, you know, get into Duke University, uh, mm-hmm. first fully blind person to ever graduate from Fuqua School of Business with my master's of business administration. I think Tiffany has her uh, honorary bachelor's. Well, all right. <laughs> yes. So, you know, just imagine you're in financial accounting. All you get is one little box, one little cell, <laughs> statistics, economics. Uh, I mean, we were praying, uh, you know, because I needed assistance that, you know, I had to argue. I needed, I needed someone to help me in these math strong courses. Uh, and finally, once I did that first quiz, I got back from statistics. One, Tiffany, I were praying, you know, <laughs> he may be the first officer blind, but I didn't yeah. want to be the first officer to be kicked <laughs> out. Fail out, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then remember the instructor, uh, the professor just give me my quiz back and says, I don't know how you did it. I go, well, did I pass? And he's like, <laughs> you not only pass, but you beat the mean. So keep it up. And, and I say that not to, you know, the work that I and obviously Tiffany did, but it's, it's the assistance, the men and women that we had stand beside us, uh, behind us, uh, assisting the hours and hours of homework uh, that enabled me, you know, and us to, to finally graduate. So then I found myself back at the military academy teaching leadership, which was, was amazing. Um, yeah. It was fun. They, I don't think any of them knew I was blind. But I'd say, you know, if you want to raise your hand, your arm's going to get tired because I'm not going to see it. And then they say, maybe this guy can't see. Uh, but it was just amazing to, to impact them and then was able to have a company command of the Warrior Transition Unit uh, after one semester of teaching. Again, another requirement, uh, if I wanted to stay on active duty, uh, I didn't want to be an unpromotable captain. Right. Yeah. So was able to have a company command for 18 months of the Warrior Transition Unit or the medical hold uh, when I was first in. Uh, it was just awesome to help men return back to duty, men and women return back to duty or uh, help them, you know, transition out of the military back to civilian world. Uh, and then uh, two years at the military academy, and then uh, again, backwards officer uh, career, went back to the career course, uh, maneuver crafting and career course down in Fort Benning, Georgia uh, for nine months. And then uh, my last job in the military by choice was at Gonzaga University, ROTC, uh, again, teaching you know, small unit tactics to cadets, yeah. uh, you know, it was just, it was just fun to put positively impact uh, men and women. So, you know, throughout that, you know, 12 year career, uh, we had three boys uh, in one in Virginia, one in New York mm-hmm. and one in Spokane. Uh, again, I'm in the military, so I have to wake up at five something in the morning. Tiffany would have to wake up with me, take me into PT along with our boys. And then sometimes my night wouldn't get over till nine, 11. She'd have to wake up the boys, pick me up. Uh, so it was a bit more of a strenuous, stressful career than most. But again, yeah. it, Tiffany, who enabled me to continue on active duty and uh, went on a little hike up Mount Denali in Alaska. It was, it was fun. And I realized, hey, I don't have to pull security. Uh, wow, there is life outside of the yeah. yeah. And so came home after about a month away and asked Tiffany, you know, I think I'm, you know, I think it's time that we, you know, potentially move on to something else in life. And she says, it sounds like a great idea. So 
uh, medically retired in 2015. Uh, and then that's when John Martinko, where we started the conversation, reached out and said, hey, do you want to work in finance? And I was like, that's that's beyond amazing. So I've been doing that for the last uh, going on six years. And I want to make sure that everybody hears the Army doesn't give special accommodations for the most part. Either you can do your job or you yeah. can't. And as an infantryman and a commander, this is everything that you just heard from Scott is unheard of. Like literally none of this has ever happened before. Staying on active duty, legally blind, teaching legally or totally blind, commanding as a totally blind officer. None of that's ever happened. And if you can't do the job, they're just going to let you go yeah. for the good of the nation. And I think rightly so, they'll let you go. So Scott has to be able to perform at all of those levels. And Scott, I love how you mentioned it wasn't just me. It was Tiffany because of how much your world depended on her. Like literally, she is your eyes. And yeah. uh, without her, you're unable to do your job. So Tiffany, you're the reason why you guys were able to make it to the rank of major and retire um, with a very successful career. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, Scotty always says, you know, not the first, you know, you don't always want to be the first blind active duty officer. Yeah. You're going to be doing right. first. It's not like, but uh, I, I, I truly believe that Scotty did, you know, he showed the military what, um, individuals like him or, you know, those that are injured are fully capable of if they choose that. Yeah. Uh, and Scotty was an incredible asset to our military. I agree. Uh, the people, especially the soldiers that are a part of it and the families. And um, we loved our time. Yes, it was it was hard. Like Scotty said, you know, waking up and pulling our boys out of bed or whatever. But it also taught our boys that you can't do anything alone. And, right. and we are a team. Like if Scotty has to go has a doctor's appointment. All of Team Smiley goes to the doctor's appointment. Wow. Yeah. You know, everything we did, we did together. Yeah, that's the perfect, by the way, setup for our sponsor. We have a group, a, mil a ministry called Go Ministries that helps equip people. Um, really, it helps take isolated individuals, get them into, make them part of a team, and then help them go turn the world upside down. And for the listeners, I just want you to know who these folks are. So I want you to pay attention for just a second to the uh, these guys from Go Ministries before I come back and kind of go back, get back into this story with Scott and Tiffany. Hi, my name is Will Parton. I'm the president of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. Over the past 30 years, I've seen our ministry go from one family, one church, and one school to over 300 local leaders making disciples in 150 different communities through church planting, sports, and medical. And we're getting ready to expand into other countries. The way that we define a disciple-making culture is when mentorship, mission, and multiplication are present. When there's that one-on-one -on -one mentorship between two people that are sharing the gospel, we believe that discipleship is taking place. And then when a group of people are gathering together and they're on mission together, serving their community that surrounds them, that's another part of discipleship. And then lastly, you can't be a disciple or a disciple maker if multiplication isn't the final goal. So would you please join us in our disciple making movement and our disciple making culture by going to gomen.org. 
Hey guys, um, you don't stop there. So after the career in the military is over with, Scott, you continue to challenge yourself. You continue to do some amazing things, as do you, Tiffany. I want people to know that while you're serving, you're the soldier of the year in 2007, Literally one person in the entire massive U.S. Army gets that recognition. In 2008, you're the world's best outdoor athlete as voted on by SB. Any one of those few people in history will ever get. And you give them you get them back to back to back because <laughs> of what Tiffany said. You got Team Smiley in your corner. And when you got Team Smiley in your corner, you got an ace in the hole, right? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And it just, it, it goes to show that when, when you stay committed, you know, yeah. you know, for me and, and for Tiffany, our family to service to our country, it means you don't do it half-hearted. You don't do it halfway. You do it full. And, and, you know, as Tiffany did say, it wasn't easy. And I didn't just have to meet the standard. I had to exceed the standard because I was literally the black sheep or the blind black sheep. The blind sheep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and pun intended that that it wasn't just meet the standard because they, it's not a, um, it, it's how the military looks, no braille because there's right. no blind. That's right. Yeah. There's no, there's nothing no, accommodates your, your disability, nothing right. at all. And, but with that said is there's a, a, a looking of like down and to where I just didn't have to meet the standard. I had to exceed it and right. exceed everything. And so for us, you know, to get those awards or recognition, it was just be, it was because of the commitment that we had. You know, one of the army values is selfless service, your your duty, uh, and that personal courage to do what you're called to do. And though we may have been a little different, a little odd, not to say we still aren't, you know, in certain <laughs> situations. Yeah. Uh, because we did it fully and completely, in in which the army said, "Hey, you know, you not only are yeah. impacting local men and women, but you're making a bigger impact on the United States and and hopefully world." And a funny story. So Scotty also, he, too. he never talks about it, but he also received the MacArthur Leadership Award from General Casey. So he's yeah, this big ceremony. Right. He has, you know, the bust of MacArthur sitting over here. But um, this big ceremony, um, you know, they bring everyone into the Pentagon. It's this really big deal. And um, so I'm traveling. I have two little toddlers and and we're getting down to Washington, D.C. Scotty's always like, do I have all this stuff on my uniform? I'm like, I know nothing about the military. I didn't come from a military family. I'm a farm girl. It's like, eh. I'd be right. like, oh, it's fine. You know, but he, and he would be like, no, no, I'm going to get yelled at if this isn't this way or this, you know, all the stuff. Um, so we get down there and we're in the hotel room. The boys are crazy. We didn't sleep good that night because one of them kept waking up and he's getting his uniform on. And he's like, I don't have my name tape. Or like his the pin uh -huh. yeah. on the fancy uniform or what? And I'm like, oh, you're fine. He's like, no, I'm not fine. Like I cannot show up to this meeting. So, anyways, right. all the MacArthur Leadership Award pictures. There's Scotty, and he's like technically out of uniform, right? Because you don't have your your name but, tape on. But I think what what's so <laughs> funny about like I you know I was bleeding the bureaucrat bureaucracy of rules and regulations. Right. Uh, and I, I, and I don't think I remembered or knew at the time that generals don't have to abide by any regulatory. Right. That's right. They can do whatever they want. And so when I'm up there on stage next to General Casey, I say, you know, can I hold it over here? I don't have my name tag. He looks down. He goes, yeah, who cares? I don't I don't like wearing mine either. And it like just gave me this like, oh, like 
I'm not going to get demeaned by the chief of staff of the army. <laughs> yeah. not but again, it goes to show like how my mindset is towards the bureaucracy. And then obviously how Tiffany's is, is like, ah, who cares? What's it, what's it going to matter? Together, you two are an amazing combination. Listen, you continue to inspire people. And I want to transition this part of the episode now to talk about the one of the things that you two have done that inspired me the most. Scott, you could get angry. You probably would have gotten bitter because everybody that I know who lost a lot in combat, and I'm talking about the guys who walked away physically, guys and gals who walked away physically but have some deep emotional scars are still bitter and angry and mean because of their experiences. And you mentioned just passing in this episode, I think one of the most important and powerful things I've ever seen a warrior do you made a pretty courageous decision that I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get bitter. In fact, I'm going to forgive the guys that took this from me and radically changed my life and my family's life forever. And I need to know how you did that. Like, I need the listeners to hear your, in my opinion, the most inspiring attribute of uh, Scott Smiley, the warrior, is his courage to forgive. So can you describe that for a minute? Yeah. Um, so I was, I was raised as a Christian, um, love God, ask me in my heart, but it wasn't really until I came to the military academy where I can make my own decisions and, and, you know, be free of not being woken up early on Sunday morning. Right. Uh, but it was a decision. I, I, I love God and I wanted to grow closer. And so whether it was reading the Bible, going to church on Sunday, teaching Sunday school, that was the decision I made. And, and even in over in Iraq, I, I would go to chaplain every chapel every time I could, uh, no matter mm -hmm. what time. I'd take a knee uh, before our missions every morning and ask my men if they wanted to pray, and I'd pray out loud. And uh, it's amazing. One day I forgot just because of all the hoopla, and one of the most, most un, you know, un, out of the, out of the uh, woodwork, a guy says, sir, aren't you going to say a prayer? And just remind me, like, the impact that I had yeah. was, you know, it was making an impact, and they, they trusted. Um, but when I woke up, completely blind, lost both my eyes, quarter of my skull is missing. I can't even move my leg. I had nothing but resentment, anger, um, not towards necessarily the person who did it or me, but more towards God, because I didn't feel I deserved it. I wished it upon someone else. And like uh -huh. you said earlier, um, I'm fine walking away, but if not, I'd rather my life just be taken. Um, but every day there was just anger, but every day Tiffany would come in speaking truth, hope and life. And finally, this little boy who I taught Sunday school to at, at West Point want to say hi. And I and I realized, like, if this boy still looks up to me, he didn't know how battered and broken I uh -huh. was. Um, but if he still looked up to me, then there is a potentially a purpose. Uh, but I had to forgive. Uh, I had to forgive the man who blew himself up. I had to forgive myself for the decisions I had made. You know, I didn't duck down and just shoot the, you know, vehicle the, yeah. you know, on the yeah. vehicle with the 50 cal. A lot of different ways to skin that cat. Um, so I partially had to forgive myself. But most of all, I had asked God to forgive me. And, and truly, once I did that, um, because I knew where the light was and I turned my back, once I did that, I was really able to begin my recovery. And, and it's funny, I say it kind of jokingly, but um, I wanted to take a shower. I wanted to get out of bed. I still had Iraqi dirt on my back uh -huh. for being in the hospital. Um, and I was trying to get out of bed. It's still... Temporary, partially paralyzed. Tiffany comes in, like, 
what are you doing? Get back in bed. And I'm this angry guy. <laughs> I'm going to take a shower. I don't know if I was going to, you know, ride the IV line into the right. shower. I, was, I don't think I even knew where the shower was, to be honest, because I didn't even know where I was. Um, she's pushing the emergency button, like, help, help, get in here. Um, and it, I mean, it, it's, it's funny to say, but it's, it, it's I, funny now. It's funny now. <laughs> But it's, it was the worst but best shower of my life. And I say that they finally put me in a wheelchair. Now, Timmy told the nurse what I was going to do. <laughs> they wheeled me out. I don't even I don't even know where they wheeled me to, but a, to a shower. And the only power that I had was to hold on to the ADA like handlebar with both right. hands. Uh-huh. As my legs are quivering, I, I don't even have the energy to stand up. I don't know how I was going to plan on doing it on my own. Uh, the shower was absolutely miserable. It was freezing cold. I don't think that's every awesome. Um It literally felt like needles and, and knives were hitting mm-hmm. me. Uh, the nurses took like a, it felt like a Brillo pad. So most uncomfortable worst shower of my life. Um, and I say that's why it was the worst, but it was the best shower of my life because that was the time that, you know, that forgiveness that my heart was yeah. set free, that I now had a purpose to live. And then I was going to take a stance and I was going to move forward. Now, the move forward, I was making probably wasn't the most healthy uh, decision, <laughs> but that was the beginning of, of my recovery in which, you know, I now, again, love God, you know, praying with Tiffany and, and, and starting our recovery on, you know, a path that we never knew what was going to be in front of us, but we knew we were going to walk with it in faith and, and that whatever doors God opened to it, it would, it would be his will. Scott, there are thousands of warriors that are still in the dark. They were in Iraq. They were in Afghanistan. They were in Vietnam, Korea, World War II, and they're 103 years old, and they're still in the dark and angry and bitter at life, at God, at war, at the enemy, and they have not found the freedom and the peace that you just described. Mm-hmm. And I am to this day inspired by you, not because of fighting the system, not because of, of going to war for our country, fighting the system and being the first blind commander and active duty soldier in the United States Army, but your courage to forgive. Man, yeah. everyone needs to hear this part of your story. Yeah. No, thank you. And it's, I think what's uh, amazing is that forgiveness is so easy. And, and most of all, God's forgiveness is so amazingly uh, holistic, uh, uneasy. And that all you really have to do is ask God to forgive you. And he will, he will love you. Yeah. If you not, he will, he will answer. Uh, and so that's what's so hard to tell people because they feel it's so much more difficult, so right. much more tragic because of the wrongs they've done, the, the memories, the things that they've thought of that it has to be that much harder. And what's so amazing about God's grace, it's not. It's his love is so healing and so amazing. Um, And that's, again, one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life was asking him back into my heart. And obviously the second was the love of my life to to continue to be with me. Well, I lived in Washington State for about three years, had the honor of serving with one of the best units in the Army out there. And I got a chance to see just how different the political landscape is in Washington State than other parts of the nation. 
Tiffany, I mean every word that I'm about to say next. You continue to inspire me. In fact, I watched your political campaign last year and I was like, look at this woman go. <laughs> I wish many, many more people like her entered into politics. I wish many people like her cared enough about the nation that they were willing to put their name out there. So for the listener, you're a wife with a husband that needs a lot of personal attention. You're a mother of three boys and you make a decision that you're going to run for the U.S. Senate. And I want people to hear from you what what motivated you to put yourself out there like that? Because most people would never even consider it. Yeah, well, it's it's truly our family service and sacrifice to our country. And, you know, I, I say, you know, April 6th, 2005 is when we politics found us. I don't think we found politics, but po politics found us. Um, and like I mentioned earlier um, in the episode at Walter Reed, it was very traumatic for me. I, um, and I didn't experience or feel it until much later, but I knew I could help Scotty and I wondered about everyone else. So I sort of made a promise between uh, me and God. I said, I said, once I'm able to, I'm going to go back and make it right. I'm going to do something for everyone else. And so I would go to Capitol Hill, gosh, at a young age. Um, and I just, I didn't know anybody, but I sort of saw the political game and the curtain. Right. And uh, so I would go to Capitol Hill and I would take meetings with anyone who would take a meeting with me. And I would share the problems and I would share solutions. Some people took them, some people threw them away. Some people took my meetings, some people didn't. Um, I would bring other soldiers with me when I could. And um, it was truly sort of the nurse in me that knew I, we could make a difference. Um, and we continue to do that. You know, I've met with multiple speakers of the House, um, uh, you know, people in powerful positions. I met with the president. I spoke in the Oval Office. I had a meeting in the Roosevelt Room. I held the press briefing outside the White House. Um, and truly in that fight, I just realized, like, how powerful each one of our voices are. Yeah, right. And I think people forget that in this country, that um, your voice does matter. And the worst thing we could do is not use it and not share it, especially when it's from a place of purity and, and a place of service and a right. place of sacrifice. Um, so for us, it was truly a family decision. Um, and I'll never forget it, you know, because I do. I have three young, amazing boys. And um, we were we finally built a house and we're not right. moving you know, yeah. every one to two years. and. Yeah. Um, we were outside and the boys were running around in the yard and I was like, I don't want to do this. You know, everything in me was like, hey, we have a wonderful life. Like we have a great life. We have blood, sweat and tears. We have worked hard. Um, God has guided us. We have a wonderful mm -hmm. life. And it was really like this lightning bolt. And I was watching my boys and it was, okay, Tiffany, do you want their future or do you want your comfort? Wow. Like I want their future. I will yeah. do anything. So for our family, we will not sit on the sidelines. We will not watch um, status quo career politicians who fail to deliver results just get by. Um, and so we jumped in, jumped in this race, you know, political outsider. I've never run for office before, um, but I knew also the power of building strong teams, the power of having a vision and a message that brings hope. We've done that over and over in our life. So we jumped in and, and showed the nation what a military spouse can do. <laughs>
Tiffany, I'll be honest when I say this. You are the first and only person that I have ever said, I wish I lived in your state so that I could cast my vote for you. That's how much I believe in you two. Um, but the listener is out there wondering right now, well, did it work out? Did you did you win? And uh, tell, them, tell them the results. Unfortunately, we did not win. Um, but we certainly brought Washington State onto the national radar. I yeah, mean, pulling on every front had us neck and neck right there. Um, I, I hate the money side of politics, but it's so crucial. You know, we raised over $35 million directly uh, to our wow. campaign, which just shows that, um, you know, people are hungry for true leadership, for yeah. um, servant leaders, for statement, statesmen um, and women to, to guide our country and move us forward. Um, so we did incredible work. We showed Washington State that there is hope, um, that your voice does matter. Each one of our voices matter. And yeah. we can raise them and we can stand up for our children, for their future, for generations to come. So it was an incredible experience. People always ask me, you know, I mean, it's hard losing. I hate losing. Um, <laughs> of course. It, in fact, you know, I, I've lost I've lost a lot. Me and Scotty have lost a lot in this life. But I also know that our life isn't built on the wins. Our yeah. life has been built on the losses and and moving forward. And so I'm, I'm excited about what we can do in the future. Um, the, the whole experience was incredibly inspiring. I met so many amazing people. Yeah. So many amazing people. And I believe, you know, our country is in a very scary place um, politically, you know, on the world stage, our national security, um, our economy. At every front, I, I feel like it's, it's very scary. Um, but I also have an immense amount of hope. Uh -huh. And, you know, hope is to expect with confidence. So right. I have deep confidence that there is hope on the horizon. And our family certainly will stay in this fight and do everything we can for this amazing country. We live in the greatest country on earth. And Agreed. I will fight to ensure that our children have that for generations to come. Yeah. Um, and anybody who's listening right now is saying, I wish I lived in Washington state so I could put my vote <laughs> behind this lady too. Um, I just went through a very painful experience. I shared it a couple of months ago with the audience um, of not competing or not completing uh, the world's toughest race. And it was very painful, but I also told the audience, this was one of the most powerful experiences of my life. And the lessons that I learned there, I don't think you could learn those by accomplishing or by winning. So, um, sometimes life goes your way. I, I use this phrase in that episode. Sometimes you ride the bull. Sometimes the bull rides you on that day. The bull was riding me. Um, and I learned more from not finishing or from failing than I did from winning in that one. Yeah. Um, I want to wrap this episode up by, by doing this. Um, you two have an amazing relationship. You're both individually incredible, but there are few people who would have even considered what you did after losing your sight, Scott. I mean, mm -hmm. Everyone just assumed I've given my eyes, I've given my, you know, my health and basically most of my future in the fight for our country. I've given enough. Let somebody else do the rest. And they would have just taken the money because the military is going to take care of you now for the rest of your life. And they would have just gone to the house. The fact that you didn't says all that the listener needs to know about you. The fact that you would be willing to fight and say, wait a second, 
would you allow me to continue to serve as the first totally blind officer in the U.S. military? It says a lot. And there's a guy out there or a gal out there right now who's got a, uh, an incredible uphill battle in front of them. And they're not sure that they want to give what it takes. So what would you say to them right now who are just struggling with, do I want to do this? Am I willing to keep giving what I've given in the past? Yeah, um, no, it's, it's a great question. And I think for me, it, it's one of the Army values, best highlights, and, and it's what I constantly espouse, and that's selfless service, is, is to serve um, my country, to serve my wife, to serve my boys, to serve this world, not thinking about myself, but for what I can give wow. and what I can continue yeah. to do for someone else. And, and though I lost my eyesight, though, you know, I may have lost something, what I've gained is so much richer yeah. and so much more pure. And the opportunities that have opened up because I didn't retire, because Tiffany right. didn't sign the paperwork, because Tiffany was, was fighting battles uh, beyond my knowledge that I, you know, I didn't, I was fighting my own battles. And meanwhile, Tiffany's fighting for me. It's because we made those decisions, those selfless decisions, the opportunities and, and the what has opened has been tenfold. Uh, so yeah. I just say stay true. Um, you know, for me, it, it was God. It was the love of my wife, family and friends that were by my side uh, that you if you you believe in hope and you expect with confidence, uh, those opportunities will open you. But yeah. just keep fighting the good fight. Yeah. And Tiffany, there are millions of spouses who have a lot on their plate and got a, uh, you know, a husband or a wife who needs a lot of attention. In your case, a disabled spouse who needs a lot of your attention. They've got children. They're sitting on the porch and they're saying, how could I possibly do anything more than this? I'm just going to, you know, go back to sitting on the porch. And, and there's nothing wrong with devoting the rest of your life to your family. Don't let me, I don't want somebody to hear this the wrong way, but you make a decision like, Hey, I believe my voice matters enough that I'm willing to throw my hat in the arena and run for the U S Senate. Mm -hmm. And I want you to speak to that person who's sitting on the porch, porch right now and saying, look, I've got enough on my plate and my voice is really not that important anyway. So let somebody else do it. Because you're the one person in America who can say, listen, if anybody can use that line of logic, I can. And I don't sit on the porch. I get involved. So what would you say to them? That's right. You know, I think, you know, from a young age, I had to really get over asking why. And I think we why is never the question that we yeah. should ask. It's what. What can I do and how? So I would tell that person, just change the question that you're asking yourself. And, and really know what your voice is and the impact that it can make in others. And, you know, it's simple, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn. Right. And um, I, me and Scotty can attest to that on so many points in our life where it felt like it was the end. It felt like everything was closing in, the walls were closing in, the opportunity, it felt like we just wanted to scream, why, why God? But that was always that crucial moment when we chose mm. not to do that, that something else opened up. So I always say, never ever quit. Don't ever quit. I don't care if you take a half a step forward and two steps backward the next day, don't ever quit. Wake up 
and take another half a step that next day. Um, and those, those steps turn into big leaps and bounds if you keep going. Wow. I could not have said that better. I've been trying for a year and a half to get that message across. No matter how bad it gets, don't ever quit. If there is an unbeatable couple on the planet, it is Team Smiley. It is Scott and (laughs) Tiffany Smiley who have faced incredible difficulties and said, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit in the army. I'm not going to quit on my country. I'm not going to sit back and let life, uh, you know, dictate what happens next. I'm going to stand up and make a difference. And you guys, even in this episode, continue to inspire me. Thank you for giving me some of your time. This episode was worth waiting a couple of months to get on your calendar. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yes, thank you. It's been fun. I told you, you wouldn't be disappointed by this episode of Unbeatable. While Scott was talking, I wrote down, there is a challenge for all of us. And that's when life has done you wrong with a person that you work with or in your family or a friend has done you wrong. It's easy to get bitter. And that bitterness will just make your life miserable. So here's my first challenge for you from this episode. If somebody has done you wrong and you're still angry, make the hard but the more important decision to forgive like Scott forgave. And you'll find that a weight is lifted off your shoulders and life is much different for you in the future. But I've got a second challenge because there are two guests. Tiffany's words could not be more true. Most people think in a sea of voices, how much difference will my voice make? And the truth is every single voice matters. And the worst thing that you can do with your voice is to keep silent. So if there's something wrong in your community, if there's something that's not right in your country, if there's things that are not right at work or in your home, don't remain silent. Your voice matters. And in fact, it could be a powerful force for change. So my first challenge is if you're hurting because somebody's done you wrong, make the hard decision to forgive. Secondly, if you're sitting there thinking, what difference do I make? Don't forget Tiffany's words. Your voice matters. Don't keep silent. I hope you are motivated. I hope you're inspired by these two on this episode of Unbeatable. And I just want to tell you, we want to come alongside you when life is tough. In fact, we want to help you handle the challenges and go out and attack life instead of letting life attack you. Hey, if you want to get connected with this podcast on social media, all you got to do is search for at Unbeatable Podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms. We have some of the greatest fans and followers in the world. I love to brag on the people who listen to this podcast, and I will prove to you that we have some of the best fans in the world. Our fan of the week for this episode is Dixie Rebel. 9085. And I just want to say thanks for connecting. Thanks for all the comments that you're putting on social media. This community meets together and connects with one another during the week. I deliver content all week long to the Unbeatable Army. And if you want some of that content, all you got to do is just simply go to unbeatablearmy.com. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. I hope you find it in your heart to forgive. And make sure that no one silences your voice. See you next time.